Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Money Mentors podcast hosted by myself, Glenn Fairburn, and my co-host, Nathan Lear. The objective of our podcast is to improve financial literacy and financial awareness. Uh, we're brought to you by Hewlson Private Wealth, one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. This week, Nathan and I will be discussing a fairly hot topic in the press at the moment. It's the proposed change to the imputation credit system announced by Bill Shorten, the leader of the opposition. Um, we hope you enjoy the podcast and just remember this is, this is of a general nature, so always seek independent specialist advice. Hi everyone and welcome again to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Uh, Nathan, today I just wanted to have a bit of a chat to you about a story that's got a lot of coverage in the press recently following an announcement by the opposition leader Bill Shorten relating to imputation credit. So effectively the proposal is to remove the opportunity to receive a refund of excessive imputation credit. So look, it is quite a complex area and perhaps a lot of people may not understand the implications and what the system is. Um, so perhaps before we delve into what the implications are and perhaps what people can do about it, um, I thought we'd just have a, a little bit of a discussion about the history of firstly what imputation credits were, when the system was introduced and how it currently applies. Um, so, so firstly, did you want to just, ha- I suppose, give our listeners a brief summary as to when it was first introduced and, and, and why? Sure. So I think, Glenn, the year was 1987. Uh, when the was it eighty seven when the yeah Keating it, was, it was the Keating government the Keating introduced government it. introduced it which was basically to avoid double taxation uh, on on company share dividends that yeah, was so the main reason wasn't it correct yeah so effectively before the introduction of the imputation credit system otherwise referred to as the franking credit system um, obviously you have a ownership in a company so you might own shares um, in a particular company and that company would pay you dividends. Now, under the current tax regime, companies are taxed at 30% or, or roundabout figures. Um, so if they earned $1, they'd pay 30% tax and then they'd arguably have 70 cents to pay out as a dividend. So prior to the introduction of imputation credits, um, shareholders were taxed on that 70 cents at their marginal tax rate. So as you were saying, it's effectively double taxation because the company's earning a dollar now, the shareholder owns shares in that company, so theoretically they're entitled to that $1. The company pays 30%, so you're only left with $0.70. Cents. Then you may have to then pay another 47% tax so on the, that dividend. The, there's almost your whole dividend could go yeah, if you're a right. high-income taxpayer in that situation. Exactly. So, so obviously, it was, a, it was a great initiative, which was well-welcomed. Um, and and it has our, our dividend imputation system is is known to be, it's an envy, a global envy, isn't it? A lot of other yeah. countries look at it and think it's a great system. Well, it probably in a lot of ways led to the the outcome for a lot of companies in Australia paying good dividends. I mean, traditionally, if you look at the Australian um, company landscape as far as dividend pays and compare that with perhaps overseas, we're probably viewed as, as, a, as a market that pays really good dividends to investors. And that's probably driven by that particular system where you do get a credit for the tax that companies have already paid on their profits. I think there's definitely an incentive for Australian companies to pay higher fully frank dividends because there is an enhancement to the yield when the client or the end uh, 
the end uh, dividend receiver uh, gets that payment. So I think, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I suppose just to explain a little bit further how that works, because the companies have already paid thirty percent tax. In very simple ways, what that means is that if you're on a forty-seven percent tax bracket, you effectively pay that top-up tax. So around 17 percent and and that's how the system applied up until around 20 years ago Um, so if you were on a 15 percent tax rate the effective tax on the dividend was still 30 percent so you you couldn't claim the difference so you couldn't get a refund of that tax that the companies have paid if your tax rate was less than 30 percent so perhaps you just want to explain what the howard government introduced about 20 years ago yeah so so the howard government come in and thought well if you, in that example that you just mentioned, Glenn, if you, if your effective tax rate is fifteen percent, and the company has has effectively paid the thirty percent tax to the government, you're entitled to that fifteen percent that you wouldn't receive the difference. It's so, like a, a refund, isn't it? Cash yeah, refund. So, so about twenty odd years ago, the Howard government basically said, "Well, we're going to entitle uh, you to a refund." So in that situation, they would have got that fifteen percent back, and even extending that further. A lot of uh, superannuation funds or people on a on a zero marginal tax rate can get the full thirty percent back as an actual cash refund. Yeah, and I suppose that that's that's who has been the greatest benefactor, hasn't it? I mean, as far as self managed superannuation funds in particular, as you were saying, if they're in in the pension environment, so they're drawn, they're retired or, or not, and drawing a pension from their superannuation fund, and the tax is effectively zero, then then the that 30% tax that the companies have paid on their profits effectively comes back as a cash refund. And, and we've seen throughout our sort of history dealing with clients that it can add probably 1.5% to the income that you're receiving from an Australian company share. So, so it is quite lucrative and has been very lucrative um, for superannuation funds over time. But e- even superannuation funds that are in um, sort of a, the accumulation environment, obviously they, those imputation credits can be used to offset the tax applicable to contributions. But I think largely what we'll be talking about today is the situation where individuals and superannuation funds have been receiving a cash refund up until now and and what this proposal is. So I suppose just leaping forward a little bit um, with the proposal announced just in the last month or so um, by the opposition government, um, perhaps just explain a little bit what the implications there or what that proposal is effectively. The proposal. So yes, the proposal. So basically, the yeah, the shortened government has said if we if we win power, uh, we're we're basically going to I guess revert it back to the way that it used to be around twenty odd years ago, where you can still receive the offset to reduce tax, but you will no longer receive a tax refund. So this is going to affect a lot of basically a lot of Australians. As we've spoken about, probably the, the one of the, the group's biggest hit will be the self-managed superannuation sector. Yeah. Because uh, basically, if you have under $1.6 million um, and are in pension phase... You're not paying tax. You're paying, you're paying 0% yeah. tax. And, and there was a little bit of concern initially when, when the proposal was announced that it wouldn't just be superannuation funds that would be impacted, but those individuals who perhaps are retired might have a small share portfolio and it traditionally received a refund of imputation credits. Um, but there has been a little bit of arguably backpedaling in the last couple of weeks or so, um, where Bill Shorten just announced within the last few days that anyone who's receiving a pension, so a government age pension, won't be impacted by the changes and will still be able to receive 
that cash refund. So they, they've sort of, I suppose, loosened the proposal somewhat. In the, if the shares are held personally, if, though? If the shares yeah, are held not, personally. Not within their self-managed No, fund. and that, that's actually been an exemption, which I think perhaps a lot of people don't understand. I mean, there's, there's a lot of retirees with self-managed superannuation funds. I mean, we are obviously very strong advocates of self-managed superannuation funds, but the, um, the growth in those funds has been quite significant. So I, th- I think for a lot of people, obviously the incentive of using superannuation um, has been that earnings within superannuation are tax-free. Everyone keeps getting told to fund for retirement. So I think even for a lot of part pensioners or full pensioners, they may own shares, but through our experience, I think a lot of those shares are owned within potentially self-managed superannuation funds. So although there has been an exemption for pensioners and part pensioners, um, I would debate how many people who have been getting refunds will be impacted by that given that a lot of people have been encouraged and rightly so holding a lot of their assets within superannuation. So that's probably something that needs to be... Um, considered i suppose when you're looking at what the true impact of this change is on what could be pensioners and and retirees mm. yeah it's definitely going to affect a, a, a lot of australians not just wealthy you know middle income earners low income earners it's going no, to affect a no. lot of and, different people and arguably um it's probably those with lower superannuation balances that will be impacted greater because as we've spoken about um on, on previous podcasts there is a limit on tax-free earnings within superannuation that was introduced in one July from 1 July 2017, which basically said that the maximum you could have within superannuation and be eligible for tax-free earnings was $1.6 million each. Mm. So for those superannuation funds that had multiple millions of dollars, they've already, I suppose, had their, their or they will have their refunds reduced quite considerably. So it's not the, it depends, I suppose, what you consider wealthy or ultra-wealthy, but... Arguably, it's not the ultra wealthy who will be who will be impacted by this change because they've already been impacted by the previous um, change to superannuation, as I was saying, from one July last year. So I think it's really anyone who's got less than one point six million dollars in superannuation in a self managed superannuation fund that's paying a pension and would be getting a refund normally. Mm. So th- there is a hit to the income in that situation, isn't there? De- definitely. Um, just changing gear a little bit. I think it will impact the attractiveness of investing. If it does get through, it will impact the attractiveness of investing in a fully frank company share. So I think they, I don't want to speculate too much on what, what might play out, but I think it could land. Let, let's say, let's use a simple example. If, if, if you have your, if you're an investor in, uh, in fully frank company dividends and you're getting uh, 5%. Uh, dividend, fully frank dividend. If you strip out the the franking on that, it's about three point five percent. So your your income yield perhaps might go from five percent to or cash yield might go from five percent to three point five percent. So it is going to make that share less attractive. Oh, I, I I agree. I mean, I think it, it's 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 almost like comparing apples and oranges when you're looking at an income situation. Because if you're looking at a property that's um, generating rental income, let's just say for example your in, in retirement phase, you've got a, a superannuation fund um, and you own a property that's paying 6% income. Well, there's no tax that's being applied to that. Whereas a, an Australian company share the profits that are being generated before that company can pay you a dividend, there's already tax being withheld. So it, it, it's almost like an unfair advantage for, for those for Australian companies that are generating all their profits here and paying all their tax here 
their shareholders in some ways a disadvantage if they're on a lower tax rate. Um, so as we we're saying, I think it it is going to impact people, in particular those who have got self-managed superannuation funds that are drawing pensions that in a lot of ways rely on that refund to assist them meeting their sort of everyday income needs. So these people might have to look elsewhere if they – well, a couple of things might happen. They might, might – might need to look elsewhere to try and get that income back up to what That's it right. was. Yep. Or option two, they receive a lower income and they might be in a position where they need to draw down on more capital, which might deplete the value of their assets quicker. Yeah, definitely. And I think arguably, um, when you look, if you look at the average self-managed superannuation fund, they've probably got a larger exposure to Australian company shares than perhaps a lot of the industry funds. Mm. Um, I suppose it, that, that comes down to, to people investing in what they know. Um, but you're 100% right. I mean, it is going to reduce the income um, that they're receiving and, and will reduce the, potentially reduce the attractiveness of Australian company shares because if, you want to, if you're in a position where you need to extract as much income as possible, this could be, as you were saying, Nathan, say a 1% hit to your income return from Australian shares. You may have to look at alternatives. Now, that could mean perhaps taking greater risk because you're investing in might be more property assets or international equities, which is therefore reducing the diversification in your portfolio. So there's a lot of implications here that people, I suppose, will need to consider if this proposal is introduced. It can have far-ranging impacts on, on their strategies. Yeah, I know there was talk that it might drive more people into to property investments. Um, I think Bill Shorter made that recommendation, didn't he? Well, he did, didn't he? <laughs> he said it's probably a good Is idea that- to start <laughs> investing in property. I'm not sure whether that's the, the right advice for people, but yeah, I think that suggestion was made. But I mean, there's implications, isn't there? Sure. And Glenn, how do you how do you think it compare? Well, I just want to ask the question about the impact on industry funds. We spoke a little bit about this off air. Yeah. Before. So, so it is quite different. Um, and without being too much of a skeptic, I mean, the, the situation with self managed superannuation funds just just to keep things relatively simple is Nathan. If you and I have a self managed superannuation fund, we're in pension phase. We're both drawing a pension. Then, effectively, what's happening with that fund is specific to what how we've structured it. Um, so in that situation, 100% of that fund would be in pension phase. So if, if we've invested all our money in shares, we'll get a, quite a, an attractive um, refund as long as we've both got less than $1.6 million. Now, the, the reason why an industry fund or the impact of this change is quite different for industry funds is because they've got hundreds of thousands of members that are all in different situations. So not all their members... Are drawing pensions. Some are contributing, some are drawing pensions, some just have money invested in that accumulation style environment. So industry funds have never really been able to benefit by receiving a full refund of imputation credits because it's largely impossible for them to be 100% in pension phase. But what they do have is members that are drawing pensions. So in that situation, what they can do is with those franking credits, they can basically use those tax credits to offset the tax that would otherwise be payable by members who are still contributing. So they effectively continue to receive the full benefit of imputation credits. Um, And and the way that I suppose pensioners benefit from the imputation credit system is that the the net refund across all of their members just adds to their investment return. So I suppose they could argue that self-managed superannuation funds 
effectively have a higher rate of return because they can get into a situation where they where they are 100% pension face so they get that full refund of imputation credits so if it's it's from a return perspective it's quite a different outcome whereas industry funds have never really been able to benefit for that for their retiree members because they can't get the full refund of imputation credits so it's not as though industry funds are better than self-managed funds or provide a greater return than self-managed funds if this proposal does become law. It just means that it sort of evens the playing field a little bit. So there's a lot of complexity around it, um, but I think there's no shying away from the fact that members of self-managed superannuation funds who are in pension phase will be those who are impacted to the greatest extent from a pure income perspective. Sure. Um, One thing we... That, that, that I was thinking about, I'll just I'll mention this to you, Glenn. Was could it have an unintended consequence of forcing some age pensioners to to because their income is going to be reduced? But I mean, potentially. Just uh, let me finish it quickly. So, could it have the impact of making them draw down on more capital because their yeah. income is lower, yeah, and draw down on more assets and receive more of an age pension and be more of a burden for age pensioners. I think that's probably a long-term implication, isn't it? Because if they're, I mean, as, as I said at, at the very beginning, I mean, everyone's been encouraged, in particular the baby boomers and people who are close to retirement, have been encouraged to contribute money to superannuation and self-fund. But then the, the, the goalposts keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you were alluding to, one, one of the risks is that if people are getting less of a refund that arguably they've been relying on to, to live off, all that means is they're going to be drawing more from their fund each year, potentially drawing capital, which eventually means that their fund balance is reducing, which therefore leads to them eventually going on the age pension. Hmm. So you you wonder what the what the outcome is there, like from a government perspective, you know, when they're looking at cutting costs or, or receiving more revenue, what the long term implications will be. But you're right. I mean, it, it could result in more hmm. people being eligible for the age pension at some point down the track you'd like to think government would model out all scenarios because the last thing they'd want to is introduce a measure to save them <laughs> save them money and then yeah. in, in the future end up paying out more money that's so right i think they would have thought that through i mean i've spoken to a few clients about this that have sort of phoned asking what the implications are and what to do and you're probably the same what's your advice to people with with the proposal should they do anything now should they sort of wait what's the yeah. Yeah, I've had, advice? I've had a lot of a lot of clients ask that question as well, and and my advice, which I'm sure is very similar to what you would say, is that there's still a, a long way to go. There's a lot of water to go yeah. under the bridge. Um, firstly, the Labor government need to need to win the election. I know yeah. in the polls, I think this week they've they've got the lead, but that's just an indication, obviously, in the polls. So there's a, a lot of time that's got a there's a lot of a lot that's got to play out basically. So my advice to clients is don't do anything just yet. If you are one of those people that are going to be affected, you're going to see a reduction in your income. Uh, are you equipped to handle that reduction? Maybe maybe it's not an issue for you. If it is an issue for you, if it does get through or likely to get through, we may need to restructure your portfolio. But generally speaking, my advice is sit tight. Would you tend to agree yeah, with that? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, as you were saying, one, the, the Labor government has to be elected. And then secondly, we've seen so many difficulties getting mm. things through the Senate. So there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. But... We'd always say to our clients and, and would say to anybody, if you do have concerns, you know, just speak to your advisor or, or consult your accountant even. Um, so it's always prudent to get, to get advice. 
Um, so look, on, on that note, we hope that you've found this informative. Um, as I was closing with just previously, if you have any further questions, reach out to your advisor um, and, and I'm sure they'll be able to assist you through this process. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. As always, please reach out to Hewlson Private Wealth via their website, which is www.hewlson.com.au. You can also find us via the various social media platforms, so LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter by simply searching Hewlson Private Wealth. Please also review, rate, and comment on, on the podcast via iTunes. Um, and as always, you can always reach out via email, which is moneymentors at hewison.com.au. Look forward to speaking to you all again next week.